0: On this podcast, we discuss medical diagnoses and procedures. All of the guests express their own opinions. You should always seek medical advice from a trained and credentialed professional when making decisions about your own health. Welcome to the Sleep Apnea Stories podcast. I'm Emma Cooksey. And I've been coping with sleep apnea since childhood. I didn't know anyone in my life with a sleep disorder, so I decided to start this podcast. I'm here to build community and provide a platform for people with sleep apnea to tell their stories. Together, we can shatter stereotypes and raise awareness. We'll be exploring all sorts of treatment options and lifestyle choices to help you live your best life with sleep apnea. This is Sleep Apnea Stories, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey there, it's Emma Kixie here, and I'm your host. I feel like I'm quite often running around telling everybody, oh my word, if you only listen to one episode of my podcast, make it this one. Um... And I mean, I hope the fact that I want to do that so often speaks to, you know, the, the kind of work I'm doing and, and some of the really great guests I've been able to interview. Um, but today's episode, really, it was a conversation that really stayed with me after we talked, and I think that it's super powerful for anybody in a healthcare setting. It doesn't even need to be um you know sleep or um you know somebody who's involved with sleep medicine i'm talking about like primary care physicians and people who are seeing patients regularly um and trying to figure out and you know refer them to the right people so i think today's conversation with sharon forstner of delayed diagnosis and how so many healthcare professionals missed her symptoms of living with three different sleep disorders we have to do better right like we just have to we have to all work together until these delays to diagnosis are just gone and everybody knows these symptoms and people get diagnoses really quickly So that's kind of what we're working towards because I don't want anybody else to have to go as long as Sharon did, just, you know, trying to make it and trying to, you know, get through the day. Um, so today's guest is Sharon Forstner and she's a wife, a mom and a sleep health nurse. And she lives in Houston, Texas. She struggled with extreme sleepiness and other associated symptoms for almost a decade before being diagnosed with narcolepsy with cataplexy and sleep apnea in 2017. She's also living with insomnia. So we talk a bit about how these three sleep disorders interact together and how challenging those treatments can be to try and implement together. So she says that having a frequently misunderstood sleep disorder completely changed her views about sleep. Um, and there, there are so many myths and stigmas surrounding sleep that Sharon feels it's essential to share her story and raise awareness surrounding sleep and sleep disorders to decrease delays to diagnosis and treatment. So that's exactly what she's doing on this episode today. And I'm so grateful. So without further ado here's my
1: conversation with Sharon Forstner. So
0: listen Sharon thank you so much for
1: joining me. Oh no thank you for having me it's quite quite an honor.
0: So when people are telling their own stories about their journey with sleep disorders I kind of just want you to be able to tell it however it makes sense to you. So oftentimes people start with you know, if they were a sleepy child or when they first noticed that, but it's really up to
1: you how you want to tell your own story. So, so honestly, I really did not consider, so I, I wasn't a really sleepy child. Um, throughout high school, I noticed like I could potentially use a little bit more sleep, but you know, I just didn't, it, it wasn't impacting anything that I had to do from day to day, and yeah. um, and I feel then, like
0: I don't know about you, but I feel like when kids are teenagers in high school, it feels like every kid is like staying up late and tired, and it's almost like that's the norm.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly, um, and even from that perspective, as a teenager in high school, then early college, um and then having my first child. So there were a lot of, um, I guess, life events, so to speak, that kind of kept me on this path of, okay, you're tired, but there's so much more to do. Or, um, and, and then once I started working shift, shift work in the emergency room, um, as a nurse, I just really like my sleep patterns and, Quality of sleep just like fell off the planet. Like it was just like non-existent. Yeah. But at, at that same time, my husband was in the military. He was deployed and I'm working nights and dealing with kids. I I had no idea, like just chalked it Uh, up to.
0: How many children
1: did you have? So now at that point I had two. Okay. Fortunately, though, um, it was when I when we were living in Georgia, so I did have family help so that, again, like things just kind of seemed to offset uh, the actual struggle and battle that was taking place. Yeah. Um, And so, so the more and, more, and explain,
0: more. Like for people listening that aren't familiar, what were the kind of feelings that you were having? Were you just feeling sleepy, like while you're at work and things and just having so, a tough yeah, time? It-
1: it would be horrible. Um, And I've always labeled myself as like a night person. Um, And again, I've created the narrative around being someone who works night shift. um, But it, I would struggle towards, you know, certain times during the shift to two or three o'clock in the morning, but then that same struggle would occur on my days off during the day. And so I just didn't know if I was coming or going and, i would fall asleep driving fall asleep coming home from work um yeah just just like in Uh, in random did
0: you have any concept of i always find this kind of interesting did you have any concept of what a sleep disorder was or that there could be something you would see a doctor about
1: no not at all because again in hindsight looking at the, some of the other, um, aspects. So just within that, I had no, no idea. Like this is something I need to pursue, um, medical, um, a medical intervention for outside of not being able to sleep at night. So I had terrible insomnia. Okay. So I'm struggling with shift work, can't sleep at night. And it's just kind of like, I'm in this tug of war, but you know, I feel like I can manage it, you know, I'm super woman, I can, you know, deal with it by just taking an extra five minutes here to sleep or, you know, sleeping in on the weekends, whatever I had to do to kind of, I guess, accommodate and keep yeah. up with the demands of life. Um, And, you know, as I, I think the turning point was when I realized and and this is still well before I was even diagnosed the turning point was I'm tired and my husband when he did come back I could not we would go out on dates and I just sit at the table my eyelids would be so heavy movies were a pain like I would fall asleep in movies and, and you know and then it got to the point where I was sleeping like through alarms I would take a nap. I would fall asleep at like 10 in the morning and wouldn't wake up until, you know, some missing the, picking the kids up from school, Mm -hmm. you know, answering phone calls, like, and it just got, so I was like, okay, so maybe I just need to not work nights anymore. So that was my.
0: So at that point, did you have a level of, um, almost like blaming yourself or no, you were blaming the fact that you're working at night. 'Cause I feel was, like as especially as women, like I even after I start going to doctors, I would just be a bit like, Why can't I get it together?
1: Like Yes. You know? Oh my gosh, yes. And so yeah. my first so and and this is how that piece ties into it. I said I'm not being uh as involved mom as I could be, right? So if I work day shift, I can, you know be there, you know, when the kids get, you know, get off and the kids get home from school, cook dinner, do all these things. Cause you know, that's what, you know, moms do. Like we, we do all that. And, and, and it was, it did really become a a point where I was like, okay, you have to change something so you can do more and show up better. Cause right now this, this is not cutting it. So starting the second cycle, I started a date, a Working day shift, you know, eight to, you know, that normal schedule. Couldn't wake up in the mornings. Could not get up. Was always late. Kids were late for school. Like, and it just turned into this constant, like morning time would come and I would just panic. Just just dread would just feel me. And this is, like I said, this is well before I even hopped on that path to even trying to figure out what was wrong. And, so, and so
0: you'd said, sorry to interrupt you, but you said that, that you'd had insomnia before when you were mm-hmm. doing the nights, did the insomnia mm-hmm. get better or
1: you still had insomnia? Still had the insomnia. And at that time, that was the, the biggest focus. Oh, you, you, you're just not sleeping at night, but yeah, I'm not sleeping at night, but there's something not right about my daytime activity either. Yeah. Um, and, but none of the pieces fit together. Like I would see one doctor, I would see, you know, like a provider here, it, but none of the pieces were tying together. Um, Do you remember
0: what you were saying to your doctor when you went? Cause I think that can be super helpful to people listening who are maybe in that earlier process of trying to figure out what's going on with their sleep. Because I remember going and saying words like. Well, usually I'd be in tears, but like, I would say I'm overwhelmed and exhausted and I didn't really know the words excessive daytime sleepiness, you know? So I think that can help people just to kind of know like what, what that process was like for you. What kind of things were you saying to the
1: doctor at that point? So two things about that. Uh, you know, I am exhausted. I feel weak, weak, you know, I such so, weak, there's like this generalized weakness, Yeah. um, just overwhelmed and then you know the fact that I can't keep up created more anxiety more overwhelm taxed my emotional system yeah even more and I think that is a key piece we miss out on on, miss out on communicating how these things impact our daily life because it's so easy to go to a doctor and say like I'm tired you know but to say to be able to say that I'm tired and 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 just depending on the mindset of, of the practitioner though, you know, just to be able to say that I'm tired, I'm a mom, I'm a nurse, I'm this, but my old everything in my life is crumbling or being impacted by yeah, my tiredness, you know, or yeah. you know, never feeling rested.
0: I think sometimes that thing of like I, I mean, it really took for me sleep falling asleep at the wheel to really get the medical like the doctor to really pay attention and say oh like I think sometimes like relating it to how what's happening in your life like it's making me late for work it's you know like it's affecting how I'm able to show up as a mother you know it's really affecting your life
1: and that is the piece that I wish I would have uh been more vocal about because again, that narrative that I'm already not showing up who I want to be, the way I want to do it, and then have that persona that I'm not carrying my weight as supermom And, you know, and then you would have people, well, you have kids, so you're not going to get sleep and, you know, they're young yeah. or you're like, they would rationalize all these things. And so it did make me a little apprehensive about honestly admitting I'm not showing up in my full capacity the way that I want to.
2: Yes,
1: Because for me, out of fear, again, weakness, that label of of weakness and not doing enough and not being enough. And it's just interesting how that all ties into the whole overall picture. But I Mm -hmm. think once we get better at being able to not only listen to the symptoms, but understand as patients, how, and, and providers how this impacts the patient's lives, like, Like, it's not you, you saying that, you know, you just got five nights of bad sleep and you're just, no, like you're about to get fired from your job. Like this is money. This is your family's benefits. This is, you know, your school, this is your college degree. Like it's really, it's really big. Yeah, Huge.
0: Definitely. Um, And so then when you, so you started going to providers and you weren't really getting anywhere with that, like were they kind of questioning mental health things or other
1: diagnoses, or they just kind of told you
0: get more sleep?
1: (laughs) It was a combination of all of the above. Yeah. So I remember the first, the very first time, um, I kind of started noticing like, just like my body just felt different. I went to my provider and he was like, Well, maybe because it was allergy season. He was like, Maybe it's just allergies. Like, maybe your body's like, you know, dealing with the pollen and da da da. And so, allergy season passed, went back and said, Well, I'm still not feeling my best. Like, I've taken all of these medications. I'm just not. So, well, you're did this full panel of lab work. All your labs are normal. We don't see any anemia. We don't see the traditional things that we look for when somebody of your age described what you're describing. Um I we don't know what to tell you. Maybe try taking a supplement. Um okay try and taking a the supplement. Then it went on to get more sleep and then it went on to are you depressed? And like and it just took this whole narrative, like yeah. this whole trail. Like and so of course like I'm going to see a, a therapist now I'm like I just don't get it because I'm stressed out about my performance in life, my life is just falling apart. And yeah, you know, we're talking about that. And then he, here comes the antidepressants and here comes, you know, more sleep medications. And, and that was the story of my life for probably the next six, seven, eight years from that, from that point, because I remember very distinctly in 2009, we were still living in Georgia. Um, I, had like, I had to stop working. Like I, I couldn't, cause I couldn't keep up with it. But I remember I had to go to Walmart um, before the kids got home. I don't know how I made it to Walmart and into a parking lot. But I remember I woke up like, I don't know, like two hours later and this was like in 2009. Um, and just going, like having moments like that having to drive somewhere, but take a nap before I even got out of the car. Yeah. just didn't just didn't make sense it just didn't make sense and but i i don't feel like i fought enough but mind you i'm still going to the doctor so we moved to texas still going to see providers it's like something's wrong like i'm so tired i'm so sleepy like i can't i i i have no energy like i can't do anything and i can't do the things that i want to do um And that went on for a very long time.
0: And there's Um, no suggestion any of this time from any of these primary care physicians that you should look like they should refer you for a sleep study or look more closely at your sleep.
1: So I had one um, and I had one and we had lived in Texas for I think I had had my son at that point. And this is this is how I got on the path. So you have kind of
0: three kids at this
1: point. Yes, I have yes. three kids at this point. Um, got on the path of just kind of, um, well, maybe there is something wrong with uh with your sleep. Maybe you are just, but we don't know why. Like, because every every other thing that we tested doesn't, and I can't remember if I had a sleep study at that point. I don't, I don't, I don't even recall. But either way, like I remember having the discussion, um. With a provider suggesting that now we check my thyroid levels, because um, that might be an issue, and they, I guess, preemptively gave me modafinil, um, and it was just kind of like, okay, a medication um, for your thyroid, a, for the sleepiness, the, oh, the sleepiness. so so explain what they, that drug does. I don't. So modafinil is like the stimulant. Um, Got it. It was pro, for daytime. So Yes. Yeah, yes. Got it. Um, it's armor daphneal pro daffinil, but provigil, new vigil. That's that's the only the term yeah. I remember. Um, and so they started me on that, but my insurance would not pay for it because there, you know, like the mm-hmm. documentation type, I didn't meet whatever qualification because at the right. time, a lot of pilots, it was a very popular drug to increase uh, optimal. Up. Yes, yeah. yes, so that, that's what it was labeled for, and it was mm-hmm. really highly prescribed. So, you know, didn't really get that. Um, so my other son, my, my first son is here.
0: This episode of Sleep Apnea Stories is sponsored by BetterHelp. How well we look after our mind really affects how we experience life. Therapy has been so helpful to me since I was diagnosed with sleep apnea. It helped me to work through the feelings I had about going undiagnosed for so long. It also helped me to adjust to living with a chronic condition. One of the best things about starting my podcast has been realizing I'm not alone and coping with mental health issues along with sleep apnea. Speaking to a professional therapist has helped me enormously to manage my anxiety and depression. BetterHelp is online therapy and it's much more affordable than in-person sessions. You can get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Emma. That's better h slash Emma. So they didn't give you a... Uh you didn't have a diagnosis of anything they just thought try this and see if it helps rather mm-hmm. than okay interesting
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and then at that time um my husband was i think i was yeah i was preg- I became pregnant with my youngest son my last child um and we ended up um moving to Houston shortly after um i had him but all the while i'm like battling this this fatigue and sleepiness and just not really understanding like at at that point I think I just resolved myself to being this person who's going to need a lot of sleep because now I have two I have a two-year-old and an infant and that's just going to be the story of my life like I'm just going to be that mom because at, at that point every provider every time I had a complaint well you're a new mom you know pregnancy does this you know
0: I I had that too and it's really really frustrating now in retrospect because I think that I deep down knew that what was happening with me did not feel even though I hadn't been pregnant before I just knew like people can't be dealing with this level of tiredness like how would anyone like how are pregnant women able to have jobs right like I just was like this is so bad but yeah so they I think that that is so common for women like they're told um even though they're showing up with symptoms of sleep disorders they're told like oh you're pregnant and you're a new mom and that is a really tiring time but I feel like you know in yourself
1: Uh you know that there's something
0: else going on
1: very much so. And still trying to continue to show up as a new mom and, you know, as all these things, but you still have that, you, you're you right. You're 100% right. You have that knowing you're like, wait a minute. Like, I know what they're saying, but I don't believe it. Like, it's not resonating with mm-hmm. actually what I feel. And it was just always so easy, I, I guess. To be dismissed or minimized to like this is what it is and we're not looking at anything yeah. else because no other rational explanation could exist other than you're a new mom and you know you just had a baby and you've got kids oh and I was in nursing school for my bachelor's degree at the time so <laughs> they were like well wait a minute um you're doing all this it's no wonder why are you tired I was like okay but I would I would just sleep like it would just be this intensified sleepiness that even on within a 24-hour period of not getting the traditional seven to eight hours of sleep the sleepiness felt like I had not slept in, in weeks yeah. like it would be so heavy I'm like no and so you know, fast forward a couple more years. And, you know, I think at that point I had seen several neurologists because they were concerned about a seizure disorder, because in the midst of that, I started having these other funny things show up. Like so. Falling. Tell us about those things. Yeah. Like falling, like my leg, just like I'm walking. And then, you know, my leg is like, kind of like going one way and I'm going the other way. It's like, Okay. Um, now, mind you, I was able to walk for a very long time and it without any complications. So yeah, that was, that was the first thing. My legs would just start getting out. And then it got to the point where I would have a conversation and like, my words were, ah, I could not move my jaw. And like, can you imagine, you know, a professional or, or being in a professional environment and somebody assuming that you're drunk? And that, because your words Mm -hmm. are slurring that bad. And that's just some of the things that I experienced. And, you know, it's so funny. I look back now in retrospect and, and, and just trying wish I hadn't have been so quiet because at the time I still didn't have a diagnosis, like, but you don't want to tell people. And you had well, some- heard
0: of narcolepsy and cataplexy and all of this. You just didn't know anything about it. Right. Cause they don't train doctors and nurses much in that. So why no. would
1: you? Exactly. Cause it's such yeah. a rare occurrence. And, and, and so, um, prior to that, like I said, I had seen, uh, two, two neurologists, um, one was in, and I think it was to the, she was also like double certified in sleep medicine, but we. I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> so
0: you really, think really like, it would be the perfect person and you hit the jackpot,
1: but no, she literally told me everything she said, cause that's when I start having these, these episodes of like the weakness, my jaws, my, my word slurring, and then my legs, like, like dropping stuff. And like she's like maybe you're having seizures and you know once we did uh the test to rule out the seizures she was just like maybe you're just too stressed out go see a, a a therapist go see a psychiatrist she literally told me that once once she got the results of the eeg the the, the study she said i don't know what to tell you go see a psychiatrist go see a therapist because it's probably from your depression, from you being depressed and anxious of all these things. And I just—I remember I went to my car and cried that day. I—I I cried. I was so angry, yeah. Because aside from you know not even having a diagnosis, I would—I wasn't even being listened to. And it was just all chalked up to the same thing. Like just, just simply being By somebody dismissed. who,
0: that's enraging. Of all of the people who should be able to spot cataplexy symptoms, you would think that a person,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. And, and that was a really, and then I, at that point, I really started to question myself, am I making this up? Is it my mm-hmm. stress? Is it, a, a, am I losing my mind? Like, what can I do? How can I help, you know, praying God, like, what is happening? Like, I I just didn't know. And, you know, it, it came a point where, uh, I ended up, you know, having to, to go back to work again, just because of the dynamic of my family. I had two kids in college and then I had two babies. And so I ended up having to go back to work full-time. And at this point I am at this point, um, you know, having to go back to work and just basically, again, like, feel like I know something's wrong, but I still have to be that person to show up mm-hmm. and push through and maybe it'll buff itself out. But the thing that really, really, um, I guess, pivoted, like, it, it my we got to work remotely most days right the days we had meetings um it was over an hour hour and a half away um so you know having to leave very early in the morning but then that drive back in the evenings and then trying to sit through meetings and hold my head up and look like like they're talking and it sounds like the Charlie Brown characters won't won't oh, like yeah. My eyes are open, but I I can't process anything. I I can't hear. I can't process, um, and and then trying to drive home, and then, you know, just at this time, I am seeing a a, a therapist, um, yeah. and I'm like, I'm not sure how to tell you this because I am incredibly sleepy. I've fallen asleep behind the wheel multiple times. Mm -hmm. I have to pull in parking lots to go to sleep. Which is just a horrible feeling. Yes. I have to stop doing certain things. And like, if I'm halfway home, I have to pull over. If I'm doing the laundry or what, I have to stop and go to sleep. And it is not like this gradual onset of like, oh, it is like, nope.
2: Right now. Now. Yeah.
1: Yep. Right now. And so I remember her looking at me and, and at that point um, she said, I really think you need to go see a, a a sleep doctor. And just so happens, I know a really good one. So she referred me to him and this was around 2017. So I had gone 2009 all the way up until, and you know, and I know some people it takes them a lifetime, you know, a lot, lot longer. To get know. know some people are a little. Short. That's such a long time. Yes, it is. Like when I think about it, it's like, how in the world did I even like yeah. get get through that? But ended up going to see this particular sleep specialist, and um I remember I had to wait a long time. You know for the test and in between that I'm still driving back and forth. And I woke up one time just before I hit the con the concrete uh divider on the freeway. I, I again by the grace of God, like I, I yeah. just remember my head like like this. And then I opened my eyes and like the car was like like that far from the, the concrete barrier. And I'm I was going at least 70 miles an hour and I was like I can't do this. And that's the that day, I told my manager, I can't, I can't do this anymore. This is what's going on. And I had to literally like lay it out. And I said, I can't come back in driving until I get to the bottom of this. And until so I find out, cause that was all my, I, talk about your life flash. Like it, it just yes. makes me emotional now. Talk about your life flash between your eyes and, yeah. you know, I, I just, wow. Yeah. That was, it was tough.
0: Yeah. That, that was definitely a huge turning point for me, like falling asleep at the wheel. I think I don't know, like I, for months after that, even before I got a diagnosis, I had this feeling of like, that was a miracle. Like I really almost died. It's so terrifying. And it but it, it's so frustrating afterwards, because it shouldn't come to that, you know?
1: Mm-mm. And you no, think about all it, the
0: healthcare professionals you've seen up to that point. Exactly. Eight
1: years. Yeah, eight eight years worth of you know, in and out of different, um, and, and, to the point where I, like I said, I really started to question my own sanity and it yeah. impacted my relationships. It impacted my marriage. It impacted my, my, my relationship with my kids and, you know, yeah. employers, I mean, friends, like it impacted everything. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, so when you had that conversation with your boss, were they able to accommodate you not having to do that drive or you had to leave that job?
1: I went uh, at that from that point I went on um um uh short term leave short term disability yeah. um because thankfully the therapist that I was seeing she was able to fill out the paperwork until I got in to see the provider until I okay. got the sleep study and the diagnosis and all that so she she completed the paperwork and and I'm so grateful for her because had it not yeah. been for her I probably to this day, probably wouldn't even have a diagnosis. I mean, because she was adamant that I go like, yeah.
0: Well, I think once you know that information and somebody's sitting in front of you, clearly struggling, you know, like mm-hmm. you really want to help. But, um, so then when you got to see that provider, um, did you go see him and then have a sleep study? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I and did. So- I- and yeah, did he tell you, like, I'm just interested in what, what did he say to you about, you were explaining all your symptoms and was he able to tell you about what he thought it might be and like a bit mm-hmm. about narcolepsy and cataplexy? Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. He sure did. He sat down and he looked at me and he said, but we won't know for sure um, until, you know, I, I had to do the nighttime study. Yeah. And then of course, of course I ended up with sleep, sleep apnea <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, as, as well. Yeah. Um, so we did the, the, the nighttime study and, um, So
0: sleep apnea the, uh, showed up in the nighttime portion mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then you
1: did a daytime MSLT mm-hmm. as
0: well. And what did that show?
1: Uh, less than three minutes. I was in REM. Like he said, it was probably one of the most like. Caught significant yes dry. Yes. Yeah. And it, you know how they wake you up for the naps and like, but like, all, all, all five of them, like, just, just like that. And he's like, no wonder why you've been struggling, um, for the past almost 10 years now of your entire life. It's like. So tell me all couldn't. about
0: how you felt after getting those diagnoses and just him explaining that, you know, you're not crazy and all of these things. Mm-hmm. Like, it's probably a mixture of emotions, but can you kind of explain how you felt? A little oh, bit? my
1: gosh. I remember. So it was him and his uh, PA. Um, she was very sweet, by the way. And, you know, and, and it, it was just such a refreshing experience to have someone validate what you have been going through and hear the words, you know, or, or be given a diagnosis. First of all, to know that you're not crazy. Yes. Like, like there is like, it wasn't your mind playing tricks on you. It wasn't something you were making up. It wasn't you being weak Mm -hmm. because when you tell yourself those stories for so long, you start to believe it. And, you know, it was so refreshing to have them sit down and explain to me that, yes, you have sleep, sleep apnea, moderate. And then on top of that, so I was like, okay, sleep apnea. I've which heard that which honestly
0: for anyone is enough to deal with it on its own. <laughs>
1: yes, yeah. exactly. So I was like, okay, sleep apnea. Okay, I know what that is. You know, worked in the hospital for, I don't know how many years at this point. You know what sleep apnea is. Yep, got it. But the second part that came, it's like, and you have narcolepsy with cataplexy. I said, wait, what? And I think, I felt like everything just kind of drained out of my face at that moment because the scary part in that was I think I was familiar, like having experience in the healthcare field for as long as I did. I think I was familiar with a lot of different medical conditions, but this one, not so much. The only thing that kind of popped in my mind uh and i forget this movie um
0: was it the falling asleep in the in yes the, yeah.
1: yes yes yeah and i was like i should know the name of that movie because i've heard it in jokes so many times yeah. like what well, do you is it like that do you fall asleep like that
0: which is why i think like julie flygar project sleep is spending so much time like talking about media portrayals of narcolepsy yeah. because it has such a huge impact. Like it literally is, you know, sometimes the first thing people talk about and you're like, if we had some better, (laughs) you know, um, if we had some movies actually made by people with narcolepsy, we would have some better references, I think.
1: Exactly. And, 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 And so here comes the second challenge of this journey. So I have narcolepsy, now what? So again, this right. is not something that you just take a Tylenol for or some antibiotics and it runs its course and you're done. So now what? And this is kind of where things fall off again. Because me, as someone who believes heavily in education, resources, empowerment, you know, you teach patients, you lead them the resources, you give them. Nope. It was like, well, we're, we're going to order this medication. We're going to get you started on it. Um, It takes And we're from 15 to 30 days for the insurance. Then we got to get your CPAP and all this. I'm like, well, what else? And then we'll see you in about four weeks. What else? You know, there's. And it was literally, I remember sitting in the car, bawling my eyes out. Yeah. Because like, I was so happy that I wasn't crazy. But I said, I don't know what this is. I don't understand this. I, mm-hmm. I guess somehow because of the struggle that I had gone through intuitively knew that there weren't many avenues for me to pursue in terms of, you know, learning and, mm-hmm. um, becoming aware of things I needed to, to educate myself on, like yeah. other than, so I, I remember I just Googled narcolepsy and looked up, like, again, like you have a general idea Of like the meaning you know based on lowly that movie um but at the same time like what does that look like for me and how does that match up with what I'm going through and then as I began to pull up resources that's how I came across Julie and I began to pull up resources and it's like it could look different in this person it could look different in that person and so on and so forth and it was just amazing, so I, I just I started consuming content and resources and researching and figuring so did out. did you how find in the Project world.
0: Sleep and Julie Flygar quite early?
1: In after so you got I, diagnosed, yes, I did. I did. That's good. Thank, thankfully, I don't. Yeah. I I think it was when within probably three or four days of of my diagnosis okay. that I just started um i think sometimes the community element of
0: i'm not alone and there's mm-hmm. other people i mean i would ima- i don't have narcolepsy but i would imagine that that's a big part of it right that you that you're not alone and isolated in your own experience of it
1: definitely definitely that changed the trajectory of everything because even as i felt confused and lost when i heard the diagnosis I had the opportunity to look at these these resources and these support groups through Project Sleep and these all these things, and I was like, "There's a whole other world, a whole other world that's it's like this little hidden community, hidden gem from yeah. the medical community at the time." And yeah. I'm so glad that's not the case now that you know more awareness is being raised and you know things are are, are being like taken from the darkness into the light, but it it was, it was really exciting. And and then the more I got to do like research and advocacy work and speaking and writing and, you know, just raising awareness, it was, it was, it was really good.
0: So you got the, the drugs for, for narcolepsy. So Mm -hmm. you mentioned CPAP, but did you feel as though, like how did that go? Did you start CPAP right away, or did it become kind of like a secondary thing because you were dealing and with narcolepsy diagnosis?
1: It very much became a secondary thing, yeah. and 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 here is again an issue that I struggle with because it was the irony in in that I kept you know, when I would follow up with the sleep provider, it was like, well, you're not wearing your CPAP enough No, because I passed out on the couch. Like, it is not that I'm being defiant, yeah. like, like right. I'm still doing things. And, and so I, in conjunction with, so the C, me wearing the CPAP didn't make all the other things go away. The insomnia, um, n- none of that, it, yeah. it, it didn't make all that go away. Um, and I remember the particular medication that I was prescribed as Um, it was, it was effective but I don't think I tolerated it that well and so I would have moments where like I would go to sleep and not be in the best sleep ever but then my CPAP mask would be off and then you know I'd be up wandering the house like it was my family went through a lot (laughs) a lot Um, you went through a lot as well yes yeah and, and, and it was just, so the CPAP became the focus of my struggle because the provider only saw that I wasn't wearing the CPAP. So there's no way. Because that's the only
0: data that they have. So I think sometimes it becomes more, they're trying to fix the data and Mm -hmm. rather than speaking with you about what's actually
1: going on with you. Yeah. Right. Right. And you know, that became a real struggle. Um, we're still in that struggle, so to speak. Um, and it is, really been challenging because I, you, you want to be a great patient. You want to do all the things you want to do all the things so that you can be the best person that you can be show up in your life. Mm-hmm. But it's really discouraging when you hear that, you know, you're non-compliant. So basically I don't care about your narcolepsy symptoms. I don't care about anything else. I won't listen to you until you put the CPAP on and you wear it continuously as directed. Like, and and that's kind of and maybe I was just being a little softy um in my own feelings. But I think, I at think that that's what it was. <laughs> at, at, at that point, after having navigated so long and trying to advocate for myself for so years, so many years, and then getting to this point only to be told that um it's it's I'm not getting better because I'm not being a hundred percent a hundred percent of the time compliant with the CPAP machine. And and that in itself was a struggle because then like I'm a mouth breather and so I had to do chin strap and then chin strap like it was just oh and then the mask yeah. and then that would push the mask into my eyeballs and I mean it was just yeah. everything I
0: don't know if this is your experience but I've talked to um other people with narcolepsy who are trying to become like get accustomed to CPAP and I think some of sometimes some of the symptoms of narcolepsy which are to do with um you know having like you know hallucinations or I'm not using the right terminology but like vivid nightmare mm-hmm. type things going mm-hmm. on like mm-hmm. that is a major factor if you have something on your face <laughs> do you know yes. what I mean
1: yes absolutely because I had a particular incident I'll never forget it uh we were it, we had gone to bed and the next thing I knew it felt like someone had wrapped me in like 16 blankets and I'm literally trying to move and I can't, I, I I can't, and I'm screaming, but I can't hear anything. I'm aware that my husband is next to me, but I can't get his attention. I can't make an, like, I can't, like, I'm, and I, that felt like the longest night of my life, but it does heavily impact. Terrifying the overall, um, I guess, environment to which you feel motivated to use those things.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to imagine as somebody who doesn't have narcolepsy, like even for me getting used to CPAP, like I dealt with claustrophobia feelings and all of that. And I think, you know, we need to, especially when it comes to this compliance thing of like, insurance company taking people's CPAPs away. Like, you know, if it's one thing if your only diagnosis is sleep apnea, but if there are multiple things going on, like it just makes it
1: that much more difficult, I think. Absolutely. Um, and it was a lot dumped on me at one time, because now you have to take the specific medicine by a yeah. certain time. You have to be in bed by a certain time. You have to be hooked up by a certain time. You have to go to sleep by a certain time because you have a repeat dose of this medication by a certain time. Yes. Then you have to get, like, it was a lot to deal with at one time. Yeah. It was a lot. And
0: you're still, you know, mom to your kids doing all the things, right? Yes. Like, then you're trying to do all this stuff at night as well.
1: Yes. There would be so some nights that I was so stressed because if I didn't have enough time to take the first dose of the medication, then I wouldn't be able to take the second dose. And then that means I would be up from like two to six o'clock in the morning Then I have to get, like, it was just like this whole vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. And that's all feeding into insomnia, I'm sure. Yes. Because you're thinking
0: like, if I don't do that, then I'm not going to get enough sleep for this. And yeah, Mm -hmm. my goodness. So how long has it been since the diagnosis and since you started that regimen of um, taking the Xyrem and being on ZBAP and
1: all that? It's really hard to believe but it's been 6 years.
2: Wow. 6
1: years 6 years this month. Yeah, 6 years this And month. how
0: how are you doing now versus when you first got the diagnosis? Like have you kind of like somehow you know kind of accepted it more like I feel as though for a lot of us there's a, a period of almost like denial and just yes. like oh and then
1: over time, it kind of sells. Yeah. My period of denial was like a very active one because I remember thinking like, yes, I'm not crazy. Yes, I have this. But, you know, this doesn't mean that I have to stop or this doesn't mean like, you know, I can still, I can't be put on sleep for a super and I can power through my naps. And, you know, I know, but I really had to be intentional
2: yeah.
1: about setting boundaries because what I was finding what, what was happening was I would have my, like have my naps, but then I feel so bad. Like I really could have worked through that hour or I really could have ran like done something. So I started basing my, my productivity on the, you know, like you're taking a nap and you need two naps a day. Like I really start. So how much more could you get done and, <clears throat> And not fully really understanding that even if I did push through that hour, hour and a half, by two o'clock, I'm like I'm not doing anything else. Yeah. Not doing anything else anyway. Um, but it was a really it's a mindset shift. Yes, for sure. Yes. Yes, one hundred percent. So I think better. I
0: think for a lot of people it's this thing of I'm living with a sleep disorder like like I don't know and and for for me anyway I know it's different things but like I know that days where I'm able to nap and then you know like I will be more productive just because I'm not like dragging myself through the day but I don't know if that's your experience too
1: very much so very much so um I had to really, and and then make it a point to, like I said, not only set boundaries in, in, with myself that when it's time for me to nap, I'm going to nap, but also to tell other people to let me be, right? Because mm-hmm. the kids are used to have, kids, everybody, phone, kids, yes. you know, friends, everybody's used to having access to you. And when you start yep. to pull that back and kind of limit that, oh, it's kind of yeah. like, well, you know, everybody, it, it shakes everybody up it you does know, it, it's really, it's
0: really important, important though I think you hit the nail on the head like and and I think people worry about as moms like oh no like I can't well I did anyway where I was just thinking like oh I can't really tell them you know I feel terrible like you know oh. I've got to go and but like now my kids are older so my kids are um 10 and 15 and I was first diagnosed with I've started to sleep apnea when my 15 year old was a baby. So I've had a long time to kind of figure this stuff out. But now that my kids are older, I mean, I think in a way it makes them more empathetic because you're able yeah. to say to them, darling, I love you so much. Mommy has to take a nap because you know how yes. I get like super cranky and, yes. like, you know, so, so they're, they've grown up with that. And mm-hmm. so now that they're 10 and 15, they're able to look at me and say, are you taking a nap today? (laughs) Because they kind of know, like, you know, things are going to go better. Things are going to go better for them. You know, like, I I just think that it's, it's a good, I think we always have this thing, like you were kind of talking about, like being superwoman. And I think as mothers, like, you get so many messages in society that you're supposed to be like doing everything. And, you know, whereas I actually think that, for kids to see, like, this is how I take care of myself. And sometimes you need to rest. And sometimes, you know, not every day, you're not going to be doing all the things. And it's, I think it's good for them, honestly.
1: Absolutely. And, and, and that is something I kind of shied away from in the very beginning. And, you know, through that denial phase, like, Mm -hmm. like limiting, like how much I shared or, or how much I was sorry, but, but as I, began to to expand, you know, and and set those boundaries, it was easier for me to say, I just need to take a nap. You know, we can't do this right now. I need yeah. to take it, but I will, there's something else I wanted to, to mention when it came to trying to talk about this to my family, some family members were like, okay, so what does that mean? You just have to go to bed at eight o'clock. Some family members were like, I don't care, but you're still going to have to show up. Like it was a battle. Like it was, Mm. and this is my, in my household and like extended family. Yes. Extended family. It was like, Mm -hmm. well, no, we got to be here at this time. You got to show up. You got to do all these things. I'm like, no, I can't. Like I physically can't. And to this day, I, I, I don't really think everybody even understands the, the depth and the extent of having a sleep disorder, like, well, let alone
0: that's... you having
1: three, <laughs> right, I mean, like, right. no, so,
0: insomnia, narcolepsy and sleep yeah. apnea all together. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And so it has been, and I've had to get used to, you know, some people saying, you know, laziness or mm. procra- like procrastination or not productive. And mm. I don't, or I don't need sleep. Like I could just keep going. Okay. Okay. Like Good that, that, meant, that yeah. mentality I've I've had to stop pleasing people in in that way um and that's about funny. the
0: boundaries as well right yes. just saying I, like I hear what you're saying and I'm also going to carry on with it. what I'm gonna do yep <laughs>
1: yeah. absolutely and and it's so funny because I remember when my oldest son was in I think it was in daycare he was in daycare I had to start at kindergarten um and he they had this this You know, how they have little writing assignments and and things like that. And and one of the things uh, uh, he was asked, uh, tell me something about your mom. He wrote, my mom has narcolepsy. She sleeps a lot. She has to take all these naps during the day. And I miss her. And it just like broke my heart, though, because, you know, I felt really bad. But I was actually happy that he acknowledged that because that to him gave him an idea that, Hey, mommy's not just being mean or ignoring me. She no, has,
0: he understands. Yeah.
1: Yes. And, and he so also day, is
0: a million miles ahead of probably like yeah. most doctors.
1: <laughs> yes. You and know, so it's just funny by to- knowing
0: those basic things.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. And he'll tell me now, mom, have you had a nap today? I'm like, no, I have not. He's like, go take a nap. And he'll tell him he's 11 now. So he'll say, go take a nap, go take a nap. And it's, it's, it's just really, really interesting to see. Yeah.
0: Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing all about your story. Was there anything else
1: that we didn't talk about that you want to mention? Yeah. I think we've talked about this a, a little bit briefly before, but through my own diagnosis and through my own journey, I was able to recognize things in my children, um, because now my, my oldest daughter, she's been diagnosed with narcolepsy and sleep okay. apnea. My son has sleep apnea. So we're kind of like a family of uh, sleep awareness and sleep disorders, but...
0: Do you think you were able to pick up those things fairly quickly after those, those
1: symptoms came up though? 100%, yeah. because I said, you need to go, I told my daughter, and she's been, it's been a while, a couple of years. So like maybe the next year or the year after... She had had her sleep study and her diagnosis as well um, because she wouldn't be able to hold things and she would drop them. And sure enough, yeah. um, but, you know, it makes me a better person and not even from just for my household, but, you know, and other people and having to redirect them from this narrative that you have to be on and operating a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time. So regardless of if, if you have a sleep disorder or not, yeah. You still need to rest and you still need to take care of yourself. So I'm a huge advocate yes. and proponent now for sleep health, just in general. But, yeah. you know, for us, die with diagnosed with sleep disorders. You have to advocate for yourself because society is just going to tell you, nope, yep. I don't care what you have. You got to go, 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 go. And I refuse, to live, no, I refuse to live that way anymore. I refuse to live that way anymore. I refuse. Yeah. And
0: I think that, um, the more people who are figuring, figuring that out Mm -hmm. and are setting that example for their children, it's really powerful. You can't be on all the time. It's just too
1: much. And we've, we've generated a very harmful message, uh, you know, to, to kids and and other people of society. If if you don't stop, Mm -hmm. you know, you're never going to be successful. If you take 20 minutes a day to take care of yourself, you know, you're going to miss out on achieving your goals and, and that narrative. And sleepiness is not laziness. enough. I've heard Julie say this. Sleepiness like a is times. not like, laziness. Yeah. Sleepiness is not laziness. And, you know, it took me a while to get to embody that statement, right. but I now, yeah, I, I won't, I will not. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm so glad to have you as a fellow advocate, and I'm sure that we'll cross paths a bunch.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Thank you so much
0: for joining me. I really appreciate it.
1: And thank you so much for having me. I mean, I love having these conversations and I love, um, you know, being able to speak with other people who understand. Um, it it really does go a long way. And, and you know, United, I, I forget the actual quote, but, you know, one person can only go so far, but you need like a group of people to go further. Yes. something something to that yeah extent <laughs> so true but I feel but I feel like this is the group that's gonna take the narrative forward so I think so too I really do
0: um is there a place where are you on social media that people can follow you
1: yes um on Instagram it's Sharon underscore Alicia
0: okay I'm gonna go ahead and link to that in the show notes and then if people want to connect with you they can Thanks so much for listening. I love hearing from you. If you'd like to be featured in an upcoming episode, please email me at sleepapneastories at gmail.com. That's also the place to get in touch if you just want to say hi or ask a question. Alternatively, you can always reach me on Instagram. My handle there is at sleepapneastories. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. This really helps a wider audience to find the episodes and I really appreciate it.